welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Some of you may have seen in the last couple of months, there was a headline in the news about the wife of a Belgian ambassador to South Korea. So they were in Seoul, South Korea. She had purchased an item at a clothing store in Seoul, but the shop assistant, after she had purchased it, didn't know that this woman was the wife of an ambassador. She came out, followed the woman out of the store, and when she caught up with the woman, she checked the tags to make sure the items weren't shoplifted. And of course they weren't. So when the shop person went back to the shop, the wife of the ambassador followed her back to the shop and was furious and came and smacked this woman in the back of the head. And then not only that, there was another shop person and she smacked her in the face, right? So like two offenses are happening here. And, and so even though she hadn't stolen anything, the assault that she did got caught on camera. Oops. And And then afterwards, there was an investigation into this incident. And what happened is, what finally happened was the Belgian government decided to take back and recall this ambassador and his wife back to Belgium out of South Korea. And what strikes me about this story is that what was just two slaps caused a huge international incident. It was as though... Belgium itself was slapping South Korea in the face. The woman had no sense of the gravity of her office as the wife of an ambassador. She represented something way more than just herself, a woman going into a clothing store. And in her lapse of judgment, forgetting the weight of her office, she had caused an international incident and embarrassment. Today, we're looking at the prophet Ezekiel, Uh, We've been in a series in the Old Testament. This is our final uh, sermon from the Old Testament. After this, we'll be doing a series in Ephesians together. And uh, one of the things that comes out of Ezekiel's call is that he represents an office that's more than he can bear. It's more than just Ezekiel after this. And it took God's clear call on his life and it took God's empowerment to do the hard thing that God was calling Ezekiel to do. It kind of reminds me of that prayer, oh Lord, command what you will, but grant what you command. This is Ezekiel's call, and it's more than he can bear. God calls us also to represent Jesus in this world, and that office feels weighty, and it feels like more than we can handle. But rather than ignore the responsibility and just think that we're just who we are, that we have no connection to Jesus in this world, or on the other side, to put on a facade of self-empowered, a super religious type of person, what this passage calls us to is to embrace our human limitation before God. Embrace our human limitations before God and then depend on his power 
as we speak about his goodness to others. When we read the book of Ezekiel, God raises up this prophet. He's a people among the exiles. He himself is an exile uh, in Babylon. The people had been displaced. They'd been removed from their hometown. All their sense of safety and security is gone. They have questions about how good their covenant God is, how powerful he really is. And maybe their questions are along the lines of whether this covenant God is actually more powerful than the God of Babylon, Marduk. They don't know, or other countries' deities. Can God be trusted? And I think there is hardly a more difficult situation than to be God's presence to people in a situation where people have lost everything. I'm certain that in a group this size, Some of you have had the challenge of having to sit with somebody after losing a terrible job, losing a pregnancy, losing a family member, a home, a loved one. And I remember, you know, and maybe you've had this experience, driving to go to see that person and your mind just running through, what are you gonna say? Like, what can you even say to this person? Or what can you do? To the, with this person. Those are terrifying moments. Those moments where just like the anticipation of speaking words to somebody who's just had a life-altering disappointment. But Ezekiel's prophetic call, it's in that kind of place where people have lost everything. And Ezekiel is speaking as somebody who's among them, who's lost everything. And so in a sense, He can speak into this scenario because he knows it as well. The book of Ezekiel begins with one of the strangest prophetic images in scripture of a big chariot with eyes and wings, and it moves this way and that way and the other way, and it's powered by the spirit. Uh, And so you have this image of like a divine war chariot that's that's powered by the spirit. And Ezekiel is, is drawn to his face to the ground before this king, this divine king in the war chariot. But that same spirit that fills the chariot and moves it about is the same spirit here that fills him and tells him to get up on his feet and empowers him to do so. The thing that God commands, God also empowers. And in our New Testament reading today, I love how these things come together. You hear St. Paul in 2 Corinthians saying that Jesus' power is made perfect in his weakness. There's something about Paul's life where he did not appear powerful. Something was put there, a limitation of sorts, that he could not be all that he felt he could be. And in that place, Jesus's power is made perfect. And so being the presence of Christ to others is actually a burdensome privilege. And it begins with being humbled in God's presence. And then it's sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our ability to be Christ to others is proportionately related to our recognition that we need God's help for it. So humility and the power of the Holy Spirit enable us to become the unmistakable image of Christ to other people around us. In verse one, God addresses Ezekiel and he says, mortal. Some of your translations may say son of man. Um, and son of man is just a Hebraism for saying you mortal. Uh, it, it's, it's like a, not derogatory, but he's just a human being. Um, and then in verse three, God says the same thing to him, mortal. And then he tells him that he's gonna send Ezekiel to this nation of Israel to preach. The people are called a nation of rebels whose ancestors transgressed, whose descendants 
were impudent and stubborn. So when we think about this intergenerationally, you have grandparents, you have parents, you have children, you have grandchildren, multiple generations that have created an entire culture of normalized disobedience. We're past the point of just having a few bad apples in the bunch. There's accepted systemic and generational sins that exist now in the community of Israel that have become normalized as just part of Israelite culture. This is just what we do. And it was totally accepted intergenerationally. And it's into that culture of exiles that Ezekiel is called to preach and to call people back to the covenant that their ancestors made with Yahweh. And God makes it clear they're unlikely to listen to you. How disappointing is that? So he's not even promised success. God just says, they're not gonna listen to you, but you're called to do this. Whether they listen or not, Ezekiel is called to preach in such a way that the people recognize that there has been a prophet among them. Calling them back, calling people back for us to who they are meant to be as children of God in Christ I think that is a challenging task. And it's a challenging task that, like Ezekiel, it requires the power of the Holy Spirit to do. It requires a deep abiding sense of who you and I are in Jesus. And it requires nuance and precision. It can't be done flippantly. I think some of the ministers that I've known that have made the deepest impacts on me as people have been hospital chaplains. And maybe you've been in the hospital and met some of these people. Even though these hospital chaplains are firm in their convictions, they tend to have this grace about them. They know how to play well with others. And they always show me something about Jesus. I'm thinking of two or three in particular. And, and one that I had conver- a conversation with was an Anglican chaplain that I'd been sitting with at a conference. And we had a lot of time to just sit there and talk about ministry. And he was telling me about his experience as a chaplain in an oncology center in the hospital. And so he was telling me that it felt like every day, at least once, he was praying uh, the liturgy to the dying with somebody which you'll also hear that liturgy called Last Rites. It's in our Book of Common Prayer is the Liturgy to the Dying. And, it, and, and instead of carrying the entire Book of Common Prayer around with him through the oncology clinic, what he did is he printed up just a couple copies of it. It's only about that thick. And he kept one copy in his Bible, and then he kept another copy that he had written scriptures in and put that in his back pocket with him so he'd always have it. And then he would give the family that he was sitting with, the copy to hold on to, and he would use one copy. What he carried with him in those moments were the prayers that help people leave this world well and enter into God's eternal rest. Think about that. He carried on his person the prayers that somebody needed to exit this world well and to enter into God's loving arms and their eternal rest. And I think carrying around those prayers that help people leave this world and enter into the arms of our Savior, they shaped his ministry. And as he sought Jesus to give him uh, the capacity to be, and so having those gave him the capacity to be Jesus's presence to other people. I would say that in those experiences, not everybody 
turned their lives around to Jesus. You know, those family members who were sitting there didn't say, I need to now follow Jesus. Not always, maybe sometimes. But Jesus's love and grace were unmistakable in those moments. And I think that when people encountered this man's presence, it was unmistakably Jesus to them. People learned about Jesus by being with that chaplain. And I would love for us to become a community that when people spend any time here with us, they say, you know, regardless of their reaction to Jesus, Jesus' presence is unmistakably here. People know that they have had an encounter with people who love Jesus. And so I think that also involves us being a, a people that spends time in God's presence so that God can search out the secret faults that are in our hearts, forgive them, and grant us the healing that you and I need and the empowerment that we need for that kind of work. In those spaces where we do that, we create the capacity that we need. We can't give other people what we don't actually possess. So we need to create the capacity to be Jesus's presence to other people. And we create that capacity when we create space to be in his presence and to be in his word, in prayer and in community, without that capacity. We might think that we're speaking the things of God to other people, but the things that we are actually speaking often come from our own insecurities or our fears about where things are going in the world, our own biases that we have and are unaware of, perhaps our resentments that we're holding on to. We need Jesus's presence for his capacity. Ezekiel's sense of his own frailty was the first step in creating capacity for God's power to speak through him. And that's the same truth that we find in 2 Corinthians in that reading today from the Apostle Paul. And I still think it's true for you and for me. As we recognize our limits, don't push them aside as though they're hindering us. Rejoice that they're there and that they're the, the means by which the Holy Spirit is going to show his power to other people. That's where Jesus shows his power in our limits and in our pain. Being Jesus's presence to other people involves speaking as well, the thing, the goodness of God to other people. If you notice in verses six and seven, Ezekiel had been called to preach, <coughs> but he had been called to preach to what God calls a rebellious house. He's told not to be afraid and their words are not to dismay him. The looks that they're gonna give him shouldn't make him fear. In the final verse, he's reminded to speak God's word to the people, whether they listen or not. And by the way, they're not going to. And so I know that, you know, there's, there's a popular phrase out there when we talk about evangelism. And I think it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It's probably not him. Uh, but they'll say, you know, preach the gospel everywhere. If necessary, use words. I appreciate the idea that the good news of Jesus Christ needs to be embodied. That's a good thing, right? We don't want hypocrisy. And it's not this disconnected body of knowledge that has no connection to our daily lives. The good news should be embodied. And the good news requires uh, speaking. It requires preaching. As St. Paul says elsewhere, how are they gonna hear without a preacher? So the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ It starts in here. It should so permeate us in our embodied lives, even in those mundane spaces where you're like making kids lunches, 
trying to hold your kid while they're crying um, or just frustrated um, at, the, at the mundane experiences of daily life. The good news speaks into those places and it should so speak into those places that proclamation just becomes a habit and it becomes natural. Uh, it becomes natural in our embodied lives. And, and that's where, you know, one of the things that we did last year was, or this year was the Alpha Course. And I appreciated the Alpha Course because I used to think I was responsible for people's salvation. I used to think, man, I got to argue them into the kingdom of God. And the Alpha Course taught me otherwise. Uh, I would start a conversation in the past and then it would turn into an argument. You could see people get defensive really quickly. And it was because I was asking them leading questions. They could tell I was trying to get them somewhere, right? And automatically people's defenses go up. But remember that everybody is made in the image of God and it's the Holy Spirit that converts the heart. And so realizing this, we can share, come with people and share what difference Jesus is making for you personally. Is that something we think about? Is it something that we give attention to? And then we can ask people genuine questions because they're the image of God and we want to get to know them. It's not uh, ulterior motives. It is a genuine curiosity about somebody else who is made in the image of God. And we can trust the Holy Spirit for the work that he's going to do and the outcome of that conversation. And as people are ready to make a commitment to deeper conversation and deeper commitment to Jesus, they're pretty good about letting us know. There's a sense in which sharing the good news of Jesus is actually just coming alongside people to invite them to gaze at the goodness and the glory of the Lord in your own life. <clears throat> I was remembering one day, I didn't have my collar on, I was going for coffee <clears throat> and I actually had to buy a bunch of coffee for a church event. And I started asking questions of, to the woman who was working, uh, selling the coffee beans at, at the coffee shop. And I asked her just how long she had worked there. It wasn't long, but that led into a, a longer conversation about how she moved to Alexandria and what that was like for her. She asked why I was getting all this coffee because I was buying like 10 pounds of coffee. And I had mentioned, oh, I'm, I'm getting it for a church event at the church that I, I, I serve at. And then uh, like typical me, I made a joke. And so I made this joke about, you know, how folks in our congregation they authentically pursue Jesus, but this coffee is going to help add exuberance to that authenticity, which is like kind of a joke. Um, and then I asked her if she'd ever been to church before or if she had a church in the area already that she'd been a part of. It felt really natural. That didn't feel like an unnatural question. And then that led to a longer conversation about all of her terrible experiences in churches in the past. I appreciated that openness. I listened, I asked questions, didn't know where the conversation was gonna go. I prayed and I finally asked, hey, would you like to come visit our church? It, it, was not, it was not unnatural. It felt like part of the conversation. She actually did. She tried it out very sort of begrudgingly, tentatively. And then she got involved in a small group and that was just a life-changing uh, time for her to have interactions with authentic people following Jesus. And it gave us a chance to talk about uh, follow-up conversations about who Jesus is and why people are so complicated. And now I've had other conversations that didn't go like that. And so I've had conversations where I mentioned, I'm a pastor, I serve in Springfield, 
and people clam up and I don't go any further and it's okay. Um, and, and, you know, at most they're defensive and at the very least they're disinterested. Um, but I can trust the Holy Spirit with that. I don't need to feel responsible for somebody's salvation, just responsible for sharing the work of the Holy Spirit and the good news of Jesus Christ. So where this church is gathered, like today, the gospel's proclaimed. It was proclaimed in the, in the word, in the, in the gospel itself, and it'll be proclaimed in the sacrament. And, and that gospel is proclaimed so that it can be proclaimed by each one of us when the church is scattered again. We learn about the gospel each time we're gathered in worship. So I want us to practice this. Even as we're uh, finishing up our, our liturgy this morning and we go and we eat together, um, take time to share what, what good things Jesus has been doing for you and in you. It doesn't need to be triumphalistic. It doesn't need to ignore hardship or be over-exuberant. But there's this deep connection between what we believe about Jesus and how we live out that relationship and then the way that we talk about it with other people. Whether we're in a difficult season or a delightful season, there needs to be that connection between those. And so I, I know it can be tempting to fear. Right? We can fear what words other people are gonna say to us. We can fear the reactions that they're gonna have when we do it uh, or the potential defensiveness. But like Ezekiel, we don't need to fear, right? Because their response is not something that we can control. And we shouldn't fear the things that we can't control. In our mortality and in our limitations, the Holy Spirit raises us up and he empowers us to speak Christ's power that's made perfect in our weakness. So start there this morning. Start there in that place of humility. And even when people potentially reject the good news of Jesus, may it be that we are unmistakably the presence of Jesus among them. There should be no confusion that there's this deep connection with what we believe about Jesus, the way that we live out that relationship with Jesus, and then the ways that we talk about Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Savior, you desire that none should perish, and you've taught us through your Son that there is great joy in heaven over every sinner who repents. Grant that our hearts may ache for a lost and broken world. May your Holy Spirit work through our deeds, our words, and our prayers, that the lost may be found and that the dead may be made alive and that all your redeemed may rejoice around your throne. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.